0: Before we get started, I wanna tell you about my new book. It's called The New Mobility Handbook, Rethinking How We Get Around Cities. The book builds on my work on the Smarter Cars podcast here over the last three years, as we've explored autonomous vehicles, ride hail, and then micromobility, and the impact of all of these new technologies on cities. New mobility options are incredibly popular and can encourage multimodal travel in ways that public transit has not. But these options have also created new challenges for cities that can't be solved by technology alone. We need to combine these new mobility modes with urbanist policies to keep our roads moving. Transportation in cities will not be an either-or solution. We don't have to choose between ride services, bikes and scooters, or getting everyone to ride the bus. It's not either or, it's and. We're going to need all of these technologies working together to rethink how we get around cities. The New Mobility Handbook offers a grand unifying theory of sorts for how we can have the benefits and convenience of new mobility options while also meeting city goals to encourage multimodal travel and reduce traffic and pollution. If you're not familiar with the principles behind urbanist policies like congestion pricing, transit priority, reduction in parking, and reallocation of street space, the New Mobility Handbook provides an introduction to these policies and how they can be used together with new mobility technologies to improve transportation in cities. The New Mobility Handbook is available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle versions. I hope you enjoy the book. This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles and the future of transportation. Welcome to Season 5. This is your host, Michelle Kyrouz. Today we're talking with Dmitry Shevalenko, the CEO and founder of Tortoise, a company that provides remote repositioning services for lightweight electric vehicles such as scooters and delivery robots. Dimitri, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Can you
0: tell us what Tortoise does and a little bit about the origin story of why you started the company?
1: Would love to. So Tortoise is a remote repositioning service for light electric vehicles. And so we use remote teleoperators who are able to see out of cameras that are added to to light electric vehicles like shared scooters and, and delivery robots. And the teleoperator is able to Seeing uh, front and and rear-facing views at a low speed, hence the name Tortoise, drive the light electric vehicle from A to B. And whether that be getting a scooter to your front doorstep or groceries delivered to home as well, or returning a scooter to get recharged or reparking it, we're a moving service for these light electric vehicles. And, And so we offer this as a service to operators, delivery companies, grocers, and we're very excited to have already begun operating this year.
0: Are you doing anything with autonomous technology? Or are you going to rely completely on remote teleoperation?
1: So, so, our view is the future of any remote repositioning service, it will be hybrid, teleoperated, and autonomous. So, for scenarios like crossing an intersection or interacting with pedestrians, for, for many years in the future, you're going to want to rely on, on human judgment and monitoring in that part of a even a low-speed repositioning. And, and so the very first prototypes we built when we formed the company last year were actually fully autonomous because we wanted to validate that with just $100 in commodity hardware, you could take a light electric vehicle and make it capable of being remotely repositioned. And so you could use autonomy for parts of a trip but we quickly learned that teleoperations will be essential. And so our focus is on getting to four nines reliability with teleoperations. And over time, using the same hardware, using the same reference design, be able to do more of a trip autonomously. But for the coming, you know, 12 to 18 months, the absolute focus is on making teleoperations reliable, uh, affordable and, and being able to scale that up dramatically, and and then when cities have had a good experience with teleoperated low-speed light electric vehicles, that you can have a really robust conversation about beginning to use autonomy.
0: So let's start with the piece of your business that is helping shared scooter companies. Can you explain how that works? Are you providing a full stack solution for scooters or just a technology layer? And how do you partner with scooter operators?
1: Yeah. So the the reason we started in the scooter space, uh, I I had a lot of personal experience. I had led Uber's expansion into new mobility uh, including the Jump Partnership and Acquisition, which is sadly now uh, a, a bit of a, a historical line item, but uh, who knows, maybe they'll re enter the space and, and buy Lime in a few years. And then was an advisor to uh, a scooter operator, a scooter manufacturer, companies providing software to, to cities to help manage these new mobility options. So I got a lot of exposure to the micro mobility space and saw three really big challenges that we're we're holding it back from realizing its full potential. And and the potential is massive. 50% of rideshare trips are under two miles. 60% of all private car trips are under three miles. And as as cities are increasingly congested and facing sustainability challenges, being able to provide the same transportation in a much smaller form factor with with zero emissions is, is a real game changer. And you're solving both the climate challenge and, and the space challenge all in one fell swoop. And so very, very bullish on shared micro mobility, micro mobility in general. But these three challenges were, were pretty daunting and they, and they still exist today. So how do you create a reliable rider experience? So nine times out of 10, when you want to rent a shared scooter or e-bike, you need to go on a bit of a wild goose chase to find one. And so a lot of the usage today tends to be opportunistic. You don't have the, the predictable access. That people need to to really change their habits and behaviors so that's challenge one challenge two which has gotten a lot of ink in the last uh, six to nine months is the really difficult unit economics for the scooter operators which is uh, ultimately a function of underutilized fleets globally scooter operators are averaging two rentals a day per vehicle which is means they're sitting empty 90 percent of the time Uh, and then really expensive operating costs and in many Western markets, the all-in cost of a daily recharge is upwards of $10. That's a pretty bad combination that's reflected in, in the really challenging unit economics for operators. And then the third big challenge from a city perspective is, is cities are generally very excited about a mode shift away from private cars you know, towards uh, more space-efficient, climate-efficient transportation. But they're horrified whenever they launch shared scooters with all the public complaints about sidewalk clutter and obstruction. And so how do you preserve the really good part of, of shared micromobility that's dockless of being able to leave the vehicle at your destination and have a really fast door-to-door travel time while, while mitigating this nuisance uh, factor. And, and so when we, we formed Tortoise, we realized that uh, low-speed remote repositioning can solve all these three challenges. We also saw that in this market, Operators are working with a lot of different types of scooter models. There's a lot of different manufacturers. Some operators are building their own scooters. And so we took a, a software and services approach. We provide a reference design so that existing manufacturers and ODMs can build in the $100 in, in added components so two cameras, a processor, uh, an extra motor if it's a two-wheel form factor, some retractable training wheels instead of a kickstand. Uh, So so existing manufacturers can build in the components that that make a scooter compatible with Tortoise right as it's being built in the factory. And then our engagement model with operators is uh, once they have a Tortoise compatible vehicle, they just tell us where to move it and we take care of the rest. So if, if a customer requests a scooter to their front doorstep solving the reliability and predictability problem we just drive it to that destination we provide the routing that's our teleoperations infrastructure It's our trained teleoperator we even carry insurance for the vehicle while it's being repositioned we're an end-to-end service so our api that is operator facing all the operator has to tell us is which vehicle id and where they want it moved and whether it be to get it recharged to get it to a better location where it can be rented or or the full on-demand experience or being reparked, we take care of the rest once they tell us where they want it.
0: So if it's about $100 in terms of the hardware, in terms of adding the technology to each scooter, how much is it for the service plan In other words, how are you charging scooter fleets for this service? And then if you could give us a little more of the detail of how the communication works. Are you constantly monitoring vehicles? How do you know when you need to hop in and engage the repositioning? So maybe you could start with the the cost. How do you think about pricing service per scooter, per day, across the fleet?
1: Yeah. So for the initial pilot period, we introduced this service. with We think of it like an unlimited subscription. Pay us a flat, say, you know, this kind of varies depending on the market because insurance costs will vary market to market, but say 50 bucks a month per scooter for unlimited repositioning. And the repositionings are always operator initiated. So the operator hits our API and says, I want this vehicle moved to this location. And, and they usually have you know, fleet managers and, and local ops teams that, that are already kind of living in, inside of their fleet management tools, l- looking at the, the positioning of the fleet throughout the city. And so th- this allows them to act on that dashboard, not sending out an expensive street team, but being able just to hit our API and uh, think of it like a call center on our end when we receive the request, the next available teleoperator will take control of that scooter uh, and drive it along a, a route that, that we algorithmically generate uh, to get it to the requested destination. After a pilot period, our kind of stable pricing model is per minute of utilization. So, typical repositioning is say 15 to 20 minutes, and we charge around a dollar per repositioning of that length. In terms of what we're going to be doing in the delivery space we're going to be charging on a per mile basis because uh, that's how that industry already thinks about pricing for couriers so that's an easier way to kind of reflect our costs but all of our variable costs so the, the cost of the teleoperators, operators labor uh, the cost of mobile data streaming the cost of insurance it's all utilization based since we're not in in the scooter space we're not selling hardware we're providing a reference design and the manufacturer and then through the manufacturer, the operator eats the cost of the added hardware. We're, we're not focused on kind of an upfront fee. We, we just want to have our variable expenses be covered and then charge a modest margin on top of that.
0: So you mentioned one of the challenges for shared scooter companies is this reliability issue. And part of that is because cities have not allowed scooter operators to put enough scooters on the street to have them be available. How is it that you can help customers have a better experience with shared scooters? Certainly with ride share, people got used to this idea that you can push a button and the ride comes to you. Is that the experience you're going for?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's in cities that uh, have enough density allow enough scooters in the given geography the the north star is to have the on-demand experience and that's actually what we launched with in our first market in, in suburban Atlanta in Peachtree Corners where the the operator GoX they actually built a new version of their rider app called GoX Apollo which lets uh, a rider just drop a pin at their location and and the scooter then comes right to where they are and now we don't depending on the market and the total number of scooters available if if you can't have a reliable eta that you don't want to necessarily expose that type of experience the magic for uber was when you would open the uber app and no matter what time of day it was the nearest available uber the mean eta would be no more than say 10 to 15 minutes away and i think you want to ensure that type of reliability in eta's before kind of going all in on on demand but even before that, just just a basic use case on the demand side is returning scooters to areas where they're a lot more likely to be rented. So uh, a classic use case for shared micromobility is first and last mile to public transit. And right now, if you're doing that in a suburban area and, and somebody takes a scooter to a train station in the morning, there's not going to be anybody coming into that train station until the afternoon, evening rush hour with real-time remote repositioning, you can return the scooter to a residential area after that first morning trip, for a second morning trip, third morning trip. So through that six to 10 a.m. morning rush hour, you can get four rentals as opposed to just getting one, which is what's happening right now, and then rinse and repeat in the afternoon and evening as well. So we certainly think that on-demand is the ideal experience, but depending on how uh, dense the environment is and how many total scooters are allowed, and how many tortoise compatible scooters are there, you might wanna start with using us for demand side repositioning that anticipates where you'll have demand as opposed to going for the full Uber experience on day one.
0: So that can increase the number of rides per day per scooter for operators. Does automated repositioning also help expand the types of markets that a shared scooter company can operate in? I know density has always been a limiting factor and sort of the idea that if you wanted to offer a service in the suburbs that the economics didn't work out. Are the distances too great in suburbs or can automated repositioning help make a service viable in an area like that that's less dense?
1: We certainly think that automated repositioning is a game changer for suburbs and and lower density cities. And if if you just look at the markets that the larger scooter operators pulled out of in, in the last, say, nine months, they're not pulling out of Paris. They're pulling out of lower density cities. And and that's because those are the markets that really pull down that global average of rentals per day per scooter. Because when you take a scooter to your home in a low-density suburb, the likelihood that it's going to be useful, being left where it is, useful to somebody else within 30 minutes of you leaving it there is is very, very low. And so being able to have that on-demand model where the scooter can go to its next requested trip allows to dramatically increase uh, utilization in suburbs. MIT did a study that came out in February this year that found that with real-time repositioning, like with our technology, you could get 10 times more utilization on a shared scooter fleet than we're getting right now, which is, we think that's a bit aggressive, but even a 50% increase in rentals per day per scooter would have a very positive impact dramatically positive impact on scooter operator unit economics and i think that the challenge with suburbs is less about our service and and some suburbs suburbs are just so spread out that the typical trip a rider would take is say more than four miles in which case people just don't using scooters for a four mile trip is not as comfortable as some people would like. There's a lot of people who, who are, are happy to be on a scooter for four miles, but the real sweet spot is kind of in the half mile to, to three mile zone. And and so I'd say the constraint is less a, a function of whether our service would work versus whether is, is there a lot of existing demand for transportation that's, that's sub three miles.
0: And in addition to the frustration that users sometimes have where they can't find a scooter nearby, sometimes even in dense areas, you can find a scooter, but the battery is depleted or it's not operational. So are scooter companies able to use automated repositioning to identify scooters that are low battery or have a problem and send them to be charged midday?
1: Yeah, that's one of our three core use cases. So you have the demand side, the recharging, and the reparking. And and yeah, right right now operators are very constrained in terms of how frequently they can recharge. And and they basically with with the, the current street fleet team model they have or or with the gig workers, they're only doing the, the recharging during set times of day. So say you have somebody take a scooter up a really big hill and you get two of those types of trips in in the morning and it's already depleted 90% of its battery, you're stuck with that scooter just sitting out on the street all day long, not really being uh, rentable until it gets picked up. Part of where the higher utilization and the recharging overlap is being able to do a midday swap or recharge of a scooter that has low battery. And on the quality side, if, if a scooter can be repositioned, to your front doorstep, it's a pretty good sign that it's in working order. So you don't have that uh, whack-a-mole feeling of trying to find a working scooter. Because again, if it works well enough to be able to be repositioned by our service, it's very unlikely there'll be some mechanical or, or systems issue that comes up when the rider's on it.
0: With the global pandemic that we're in the middle of here in 2020, there's been a question about the cleaning of shared scooters. Is that also a use case for repositioning?
1: Absolutely. And that's actually one, you know, big change we made right as we launched in suburban Atlanta. The operator has a hub model where after and a rider completes their trip, scooter returns to to one of six hubs they have throughout the deployment area and we now are disinfecting a scooter every time it's returned to a hub, and it gets a sticker put on the handlebars. And so when the next rider who requests it to to come to them, when it shows up at their doorstep or office, they know that that scooter hasn't been touched by anybody after it's been last cleaned. We think, particularly in the short term, as we're still very sensitive to all all the COVID safety issues, we think that's a a really great application of, of our technology in general though compared to other transportation modes shared scooters are very hygienic with, with the latest science about covid shows basically anything that's exposed to the sun ends up naturally being disinfected it's encouraging for the industry to see that in markets like korea china paris once things open up scooter usage is actually higher than it was pre covid because people are are preferring outdoor personal transportation over other modes that have you in a tight enclosed space where people are not six feet away.
0: We know that shared scooters have faced some headwinds even before the coronavirus in the cost of operations and compliance with city regulations. What are you seeing as the biggest pain points for shared scooter operators and how does Tortoise try to address those?
1: I I think right now that the biggest issue is the business model and, and how do the operators get to profitability Ultimately, you can do a lot on the cost-saving side, and we certainly help with more cost-effective recharging. But the really big opportunity is increase the revenue side. And the analogy I like to use is imagine if you were designing the world's least efficient taxi service, you would make it so that your taxi driver can only wait at the location of their last drop-off to get their next pickup. And pretty guarantee you that that would be the worst performing taxi provider in, in a given market. And yet that's exactly how shared scooters work today. You have no ability to match the location of supply with where there's demand in a city in real time. And and that's what we're enabling. I think that the MIT study is very encouraging. Some of the early data out of Peachtree Corners is very encouraging that, that we're able to take this rapidly depreciating asset that lives out on the street and dramatically increase the, the revenue per day it's generating for the operator. I think in doing so, we're putting them on the fast path to profitability, and and I think that then unlocks more investor interest and, and capital for, for the space so that it can realize its full potential, because I think that's the other risk for the space is, is investors' get a little weak in the knees before the opportunity is fully realized. And and these companies aren't in a position to execute on, on the massive opportunity they have in front of them.
0: So the cost savings in terms of recharging and things like that are less important in your view than really increasing the number of opportunities for each scooter to be used during the day.
1: I think it's certainly both are important in the medium to long term. Though, you know, you might have a new type of battery that emerges that on one charge can last a week. Whereas the problem of maximizing utilization, that's evergreen. So I think on the recharging side, there's other tactics that might be used to to, to start reducing costs there. But on the maximizing utilization front, you really need this ability for real-time rebalancing and there's no other alternative. And depending on the operator, they might find value in what we're offering for, you know, one might value the recharging cost savings more than others. But if I were an operator, I would certainly lean into the revenue maximization opportunity.
0: So you've mentioned a couple times your recent deployment in Peachtree Corners, Georgia. Tell us what that looks like. What kind of a town is Peachtree and how is that deployment set up?
1: Yeah. So we've had a really good engagement with the city of Peachtree Corners, they're 15 minutes outside of metro Atlanta, a population of around 40,000 people and home to one of the largest tech suburban office parks. So over 7,000 people come in and, and work in that this massive, many, many acre office park that this basically takes up a big chunk of the city. And they meet the criteria of a lower density where a typical shared scooter deployment would unlikely to be profitable for an operator and they're also though 15 minutes outside of of metro atlanta as i mentioned so they've seen firsthand how messy and and obstructed the sidewalks can get with the 1.0 version of of shared micro mobility the city is is really leaning into innovation around transportation and and so when we first met with them and, and they started learning more about us they actually really took the bull by the horns and actually passed an ordinance that not only allowed our technology to be deployed, they actually mandated that any scooter operator that deploys in Peachtree Corners only do so with vehicles capable of automated repositioning. We didn't even ask for that. We obviously think that that's a great development for us and, and a great template for for, for other cities to, to follow. They saw this as a safety-focused initiative in terms of keeping sidewalk paths clear for people in wheelchairs, for for. Yeah, just the benefit of the general public. We launched there the scooter operator that, that we partnered with for, for the deployment there is GoX, which is a smaller operator focused on not necessarily the most dense urban environments. They have a hub model where they partner with local businesses to create parking hubs at their locations. And so that worked as well in terms of being complementary with our service where we can return a scooter. To a hub and then get a scooter from a hub to a customer's location. We're live with 100 scooters there, and so far getting really positive reaction from the community and and the businesses. Uh, And you know, look forward on on building uh, success there.
0: And so is it entirely an Uber type, the ride comes to you model? Or I guess there are hubs at businesses. So someone might come out of their office and there might be a scooter right there at a hub.
1: Yeah. So you certainly can still unlock a scooter that's parked in a hub without requesting it to come to you if if you're right there. Though in terms of the Early numbers, vast majority of, of trips that are happening are are the on-demand trips where we're repositioning the vehicle to to a customer's location, and um, we're GoX isn't charging uh, a customer more because they're they're using the on-demand version, so they're at no disadvantage. But yeah, we're certainly not prohibiting people from just unlocking an otherwise available scooter.
0: And. What has the feedback been from people who witness a scooter driving by itself on route to a pickup or returning to a hub? Have there been any vandalism or what are the reactions about seeing the scooter without someone on it?
1: So, so one of the reasons we thought Peachtree Corners would be a great initial deployment site is it's an affluent area with good infrastructure and, and just very low crime. We've so far had zero incidents of vandalism or pe- people intentionally getting in the way of a scooter or, or something like that. The, the most surprising thing about the public reaction is how most people don't notice it at all. Uh, <laughs> we're fairly used to seeing scooters. I mean, we grew up with scooters. And so as a form factor, it in of itself doesn't draw that much attention. And, and then remember, we're going at a very low speed. So you know, the name Tortoise very much reflects that, the, the max speed uh, of, of five miles per hour in most markets. And, and so that combination lends itself towards fairly minimal reactions. Of course, people will take pictures and videos of it, which we think is great. But beyond that, we, we haven't gotten any negative feedback so far.
0: And are the scooters being used outside of the office park? Is there a surrounding city that has apartment buildings and housing and things, then people are going back and forth, or is it just within the, the office park?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's definitely, a, yeah, the city and the office park, I would kind of think of it as one and the same. I mean, they kind of, the office park starts and then you have residential and commercial areas. You've got two big multinational hotels that are kind of on, on the edge of the office park permitted to go on all kind of sidewalks and public roads in, in the city of Peachtree Corners, not just in the office park.
0: Are you thinking about pilots in other cities for shared scooters this year, or is everything on hold with the pandemic?
1: Oh, actually, we're, yeah, so we're gearing up. San Jose, by the time this is released, we will be live. So we're working uh, closely with the city there. We're very focused on reducing sidewalk clutter and obstruction complaints, and and so they're very receptive to this technology. And then we've got uh, another for deployments that will be going out through Q2 and Q3 in the shared scooter space. In, in some cases, COVID has accelerated the need for more accessible shared micromobility because cities are you know, quickly realizing that that large percentage of, of folks that take public transit may now not feel comfortable taking public transit and they still need transportation options. It, it feels like in some markets, the very tight regulatory approach that was the norm when it came to shared micromobility is actually loosening up pretty rapidly uh, in response to COVID and and kind of the, the issues that people have with scooters feel a little less significant in light of the more dramatic challenges that, the, that urban transportation is facing right now.
0: And for your San Jose launch, are you partnering with one scooter operator or will it apply to multiple operators?
1: I- one at the beginning. I mean, in general, we that that's kind of, we think the right way to pilot is just start with one operator and, and make sure it's working well there. But our business model is to be Switzerland. So we don't sign up for exclusives with an operator in a given market. Uh, but we think it's the, the better way to pilot is to just get it working really well with one operator. And, you know, that, that will certainly get the interest and attention of all the other operators in that market.
0: And then you mentioned that Tortoise is also thinking about moving into delivery as well as its shared scooter business. How are you thinking about delivery?
1: So our vision when we formed the company last year was was to always be a a horizontal provider of repositioning for light electric vehicles across many form factors. So starting with shared scooters, but quickly then going to e-bikes, Uh, than to delivery robots, security robots, cleaning robots. If it it weighs less than 200 pounds and doesn't have a rider on it while it's being repositioned and there's a need to move it at a low speed, we want to be that engine that that is moving it. And one of the reasons we first focused on shared scooters is, is we saw these really intense need for the operators to maximize their revenue. And we were very excited about what was happening in the delivery space, but it felt, you know, you, you had uh, more, more paths to profitability without introducing automation. And what's really happened with COVID is, one, you've had a tremendous spike in need for, for home delivery, uh, of, especially in the grocery uh, and retail convenience space and alcohol space. You have companies like Starship and KiwiBot that have been doing this for hot food, but their current robots aren't really designed to handle a typical online grocery order size. So there's a, a missing need in the market there. And then you've got obviously Neuro, which is building a vehicle that goes on roads and kind of travels with human drivers, which we think is a very different set of regulatory and, and scale challenges, whereas whereas the sidewalk with a teleoperated low speed model is something that potentially could could scale and have an impact on a much more immediate time frame, And so, unlike with scooters where there's a lot of existing manufacturers, there's a lot to get right in terms of the, the rider experience, in terms of, is, is it a comfortable ride? Is it safe, easy to control for the rider? With a delivery robot, it's really all about the repositioning. And so we were able to quickly adapt everything we, we've built and figured out for repositioning scooters in kind of a three-month sprint, we actually have our, our first delivery robot prototypes coming online and are, are looking to do the first pilot deployments as soon as August this summer. And we see this really big opportunity uh, and real need for contactless home grocery delivery. They're going to have large populations that are being told to, to stay home, either elderly folks or people who are immunocompromised, and they're going to need their groceries and A lot of people live uh, within a two-mile radius of a grocery store. So for the low-speed delivery, that's a really good option. Hot food is actually a much more challenging space because most people don't want to be ordering hot food only from restaurants within a one-mile radius of where they live, whereas with grocery, there's less of an expectation of having it within 30 minutes And so it's with, again, these max speed of five miles per hour, average speed of three miles per hour, you you can deliver a really good experience in the grocery space that's in line with customer expectations.
0: And what does the form factor look like that you're thinking about for delivery?
1: What we think is important in delivery is flexibility. So there's going to be a lot of different types of goods, different volumes, different requirements. You know, say it's ice cream, you want to have a a container that, that can keep its temperature uh, say it's alcohol, you wanna have a container that's more padded. So we actually call it a delivery cart and think of it more like a pickup truck than a car where different modular containers that hold different types of goods can get slotted into the wagon of the delivery pickup truck. And, and again, this is not, I'm not talking about something large, ha- half the width of, uh, of a sidewalk, about four feet tall. So it's not gonna be too intimidating when you see it slowly coming down the sidewalk we kind of think there's a real opportunity to to create flexibility with modular containers, as opposed to having everything being closed. And part of why we feel comfortable with that approach is, is again, we have this hundred percent teleoperated model. So we have constant video monitoring of both the goods uh, while they're being delivered, as well as obviously everything happening on, on the sidewalk and and street conditions. Uh, and, And so that gives us a lot more flexibility in terms of how we, a store and, and load the goods onto the cart.
0: And so would you be looking to do relationship deals with particular grocery stores where the customer would order through the store and then the store would ask you to deliver it?
1: Exactly. So yeah, we're across all of these verticals, whether it be scooters or, or delivery, we're purely B2B, which is also a prime difference with the Starships and, and Kiwi Boss of the world that, that build their own consumer-facing app and they're trying to aggregate demand, our our view is we just want to be a fulfillment option for those deliveries that that grocery store receives that are less than, let's say, two two to three mile radius from where the grocery uh, store is located. Uh, Because those are the deliveries we can do more reliably, faster, and uh, more cost-effectively than a human courier. And, And obviously, and again, with COVID being top of mind, a completely contactless form of delivery is also something that, People are increasingly looking for any robot company can, can help provide that.
0: Well, it sounds like you have a lot of interesting projects in store this year. Expanding your scooter deployments and uh, moving into delivery. Uh, anything else we didn't cover?
1: I, I think if we do well on those two, we'll have a really good year. And you know, we are looking at, at things like cleaning robots as well, which was also post-COVID uh, and you know sanitizing sidewalks and streets, and and so can we accelerate into that space as well. But I think if we really execute well on everything we already have lined up in in the shared scooter space, and, and then introduce this remote controlled grocery delivery option, we'll have a lot of positive impact and set ourselves up for a big 2021.
0: Terrific. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear about what Tortoise is doing.
1: It was my pleasure. Always happy to chat.
0: Thanks again to Dimitri for joining us. You can find the show notes for this episode and all of our season five episodes on our new publication at smartercars.substack.com. And there you can also sign up for our email list for new podcast episodes and articles. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.